You're listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. On this episode, Kathy speaks with radio talk show host, lawyer, academic, and author Hugh Hewitt as they discuss the results of the 2018 midterms, religion, and even books. And now, here's Kathy. Okay, well, welcome to this edition of Engage Arizona, the podcast by Center for Arizona Policy. I'm with Hugh Hewitt, um, the uh, one of our favorites at Center for Arizona Policy, um, radio broadcaster, talk show host, law professor, attorney, um, one of our favorites that we always do our, our post-election wrap-up with. When did we begin doing the post-election wrap-up? I think it was 2004 or 2006. It's been a long time. around there, yeah. When I lived in California, it was a lot easier when I lived in Virginia, but I'd come over about five days after and we'd right. sit down and go through the results and We've had a lot more happy nights than sad nights. We have, and it's been just a fun event for people, and especially when, um, of course, I like it because when we do the radio show-style format, then I get to be your sidekick, and, and that's a lot of fun. I've actually introduced, you invented it, and I have now introduced it in other Salem markets. Uh, of course, I'm on 960 AM here in the Patriot, where you do the Johnny Carson-style thing with two co-hosts, and you interview, and we have a great lineup. You've done a great thing, uh, and then... It moves it along for the audience. It's not a static, boring speech. It's a lively conversation. Go all over the place. Right. And that and that's what you, we don't have to even prepare for it that much because I know, well, I can count on you to tell you this is what you do for a living. Well, okay, the midterms. Um, just the quick take. Was this a normal midterm? What was the Trump effect? This was a Republican win. Uh, not only did we learn that the Senate will remain confirming judges, which is my two priorities are the military and judges. And the House Democrats will be okay on appropriations for the Defense Department. They will be okay on uh, authorization of ship levels and stuff like that. They're not great, but they're okay. On judges, it's all for the Senate. We are going to have at least 52, regardless of the Rick Scott and the Martha McSally. So we are going to continue to confirm originalists. The Supreme Court, if there's a vacancy, will get another originalist. With my 30-year commitment, I've been working for this for 30 years, is to get five originalist justices and then to maintain the majority to stock the bench below them. We want a decisive victory. Donald Trump is right to raise his fist. You're going to lose seats in the first off year of every president. 37 is higher than I would have liked. I thought it was going to be 30 to 32. Uh, but we lost suburban women of means, the whole food voter, as Michael Barone pointed out. And getting them back is really a question for you, Kathy. How do you go out and find – and uh, let, let me – get very granular. In the churches of Arizona, where mom's got three kids in the Sunday school program and maybe a couple of kids in elementary school, they don't like the aesthetics of President Trump. And they allowed aesthetics to interfere with policy choices. We got to turn that around. The other good news, Ohio's a red state. Missouri's a red state. Uh, Florida looks like a red state. Arizona looks to me to be a red state with a funny Senate race. But what did Doug Ducey win by? Oh, he's like 18 points, roughly. Isn't that so, remarkable? Yeah. He, he thought he had a race at first. Right. Oh, yeah. And I think and it took a Doug Ducey in everything he did a year, 18 months ago. Plus, he's got a good record to run on. And he's uh, he's not – well, the teachers got their pay raise. Um, so there wasn't a lot – you know, people – there are certainly the, some of the teachers that don't like him. But, yeah, Doug Ducey has been a very effective governor. How did he take care of the – the traditional values conservative whom you represent in the Center for Arizona Policy works for the unborn, the people who care about religious liberty, the Alliance Defending Freedom Conservative. How has the governor been? Well, he has signed every pro-life bill that has reached his desk over his first four years. 
he has signed something like 36 different bills that we have supported at Center for Arizona Policy. Oh, wow. So um, school choice, I've certainly been a champion on school choice, on on all the life issues. Um, we haven't met, had much on religious freedom, so that's still – You beat you know, dope. Um, right. And the defeat of recreational marijuana, that certainly, that was a great campaign. The governor was the air war, um, raised the money, had the commercials, really used the Colorado experience to, to show what was wrong with that. And then we were the ground game. I mean, that the ground game was very effective. And when we look at the Arizona midterm re- results, while they're just, I mean, our state house is closer than it's ever been. I mean, we, we barely have a majority in the state house. I was going to ask you, is it five? It's, um, it's 3129 in the house. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And it's 1713 in the Senate, which it had been. The the swing votes are going to be moderate Republicans, so we're back in that kind of a dynamic that we were. You know, we've had a ten year run of really conservatives being very much firmly in charge for the most part. Started some slippage the last two years, and, and we're going to see more this year. But it's still in Republican hands, so we could, but it'll be more defensive. Who will be the speaker? And um, the speaker is Rusty Bowers, who um, long time, yeah. And then the Senate president is Karen Fan out of Prescott, um, been in the House and now um, just finished two years in the Senate. So good leadership. How about turnover in the agencies? You've got people out here who are so talented uh, who will they, – they retire to Arizona and they bring this raft of abilities with them. Does Doug Ducey reach out and repopulate? Because, you know, administrations get tired. Right. I think there will be some turnover. It's certainly when you're working for a governor like Ducey, it's a full-time plus job. Um, we've seen some of that turnover a little bit the last year or so. So I think there will be. Um, but when you talk about all the people moving to Arizona, that's one of the questions I have about our midterm. And, and as we analyze the results more closely, the population growth, what impact is that making in races like the U.S. Senate? You don't what, want to be California East. Oh, yeah. And that's the concern is that we hope that, you know, with all due respect, we hope the people moving from California – Remember why they've left California. One of the interesting aspects of the post-election analysis, Virginia and Colorado are not purple. They're blue. Ohio and Iowa are not purple. They're red. Arizona is still purple. And and where do the where do the San Francisco liberals go? I want them to go to Colorado where they already are. I don't want him to come down here because we've uh, you know defensible lines matter to me. It's not defensible in Colorado. We have been routed. Well, and it's the concern for Texas as well. Uh, it appears from how the Texas Senate race went as well. And so, yeah, what we've got our work cut out for us in Arizona. We will have a Senate race on the ballot in twenty 2020, twenty, twenty twenty two, and twenty twenty four. Do you expect uh, Senator Kyle to resign at the end of this year? Yes, I do. And so the governor will face another choice, right. a choice of someone who will be able to. Look, it would be obviously Martha McSally if she comes up short. I think the numbers are okay. I don't. We don't know when we're talking and recording this on on Friday morning what the numbers are going to be like. But I'm I'm optimistic. But if 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 it goes the wrong way, she's the obvious choice because she has the fundraising capacity and the ability right. to walk in and and a network and the and our, the National Republican Senatorial Committee would help her. But if it isn't her, who's on the list? Well, I think. People talk about Kirk Adams, the governor's chief of staff. I think he's one. Some people talk about the treasurer that Ducey appointed to take the um, – when um, Jeff DeWitt resigned, um, Eileen Klein. Um, I think Kirk Adams probably would be the, the front runner. I look at your solicitor general, uh, Mr. Lopez. Yes. And he's a <laughs> 9-11 veteran. He's Latino, obviously, and he's whip smart. And I look at the demographics and – I kind of I don't. Uh, Kirk's a very good guy. I know if I've known him for years. Um, the the governor will make the choice in the best interest of the state. And I getting he, he talked John Kyle into getting back in the ring so he can talk anyone to anything. He'll make the right choice. 
But I would like to have a Latino uh, American running for a race like that. Um, Justice John Lopez would be an excellent pick for the Justice. He's no longer your SG. He's on the Supreme Court now. Yeah, Yeah, he would be an excellent pick. I mean, that's for sure. Well, looking ahead to 2020, I know you think Trump has it in the bag. Um, Who's going to be on the Democrat side? Well, you know, Kathy, I wrote a piece for The Washington Post, which quickly accumulated 2,000 negative comments and one one comment (laughs) that was nice. I think the president signed it and said, I like this column because it begins President Trump's going to win re-election. I never believed that until two months ago. I didn't even think he was going to run. I thought he was going to say – yeah, I don't want to lose. I'm going to monetize my presidency. I'm going to go out there and the Trump brand. I did everything. I'm, I'm James K. Polk. Uh, but he likes the rallies and he won and he's got a path. Uh, he's just got to get Pennsylvania back and he wins. You, get, you know, he, he held Ohio and Iowa and he wins. He holds Florida uh, and, and Pennsylvania and he wins. And so he likes being president. He's getting better at it. Democrats have 30 people running. They can't out-Trump Trump. He is our combatant-in-chief. That was the title of the Washington Post column, the combatant-in-chief. Our, our society is built on combativeness. It's in our video games. It's in our comic book movies. It's in our uh, cable TV monetization. It's less so on talk radio and in places like the Center for Arizona Policy. But he's good at it and getting better at it, and I think he's going to have a better team. All I can see them doing is deciding to nominate Kamala Harris, who will be uh, the left-wing challenger with a skill set. She's a very very formidable political talent. I, I, I have seen her work. I, I have watched her close. I have great respect for her analytical and her training. She learned the game from Willie Brown, and there's no one better than Willie Brown, named unfamiliar to some Arizonans who ran California for many years. And then I think from out of left field could come Howard Schultz. Um, he's the anti-Trump. A mm-hmm. businessman, a lot of money, um, very big with the military community, started Starbucks, or, and this was Chuck Todd talking to me on my show this week, Michael Bloomberg does bring $150 billion. He's not afraid to spend it. Um, he can spend as much money as he wants. Gun violence is a problem. Uh, Doug Ducey's stop orders is the solution in part. But but Bloomberg is a real threat, and the Democrats will like him. Finally, this Beto O'Rourke thing, his people are nuts. I mean, they are, they're <laughs> all in for Beto, and it's... It's one of those phenomenon we can't ignore or mock. It's real. Absolutely. Well, and we've seen the role of money on the left has certainly made a difference in our state. I mean, human rights campaign, Planned Parenthood poured millions into the state, That what that means ahead. But when you mention that suburban Whole Foods woman, the, you know, we've got to somehow communicate Trump's record. You know, set aside his the moral issues or what he might how he might go after someone, but to look the record you cannot dispute. And when you talk about the combatant personality, that's what it takes. I mean that that's what I thought is that it took a Trump to kind of shake things up. But we just need to get him to slow down on that Twitter feed a little bit and some of those types of things. Well but, the exchange with Jim Costa this week yes. was to me revealing. I think the press and I'm I'm agree you shouldn't suspend credentials, just don't call on him. If you're going to be rude, don't get called on, but don't suspend credentials. And so they should restore his credentials. But the president won that exchange. Oh, absolutely. Because all of us, when he um, went after Acosta about how he treats um, Sarah Sanders, I mean, we're all like, go for it. I mean, because Sarah Sanders has become, I think, a hero to many with how she handles the press. I mean, no one handles the press as well as she does. And this mobs versus jobs, when they attack Tucker Carlson's house, uh, it's becoming – when Mitch McConnell – and I – I get the left beats me up on this, and I don't care because I've been doing this a long time. This is the business we have chosen. The man who assaulted Mitch McConnell and Secretary Chow put them in fear of physical assault. He pounded on the table. He threw their food. 
how do you know where the line is where the guy pulls a knife out or swings at you? He's 78 years old or 76 years old and Elaine Chow's little and no one stepped up. The security wasn't close. That's an assault. And that's the left. And I think people, uh, the, the pounding on the door at the Supreme Court, the Brett Kavanaugh assassination attempt, character assassination attempt. I think that that's going to turn the whole food mom back. And Nancy Pelosi, of course, has a gavel now. And it's a lot harder to control your crazies when you're in charge. Well, and I think most women, too, when you think that your husband, your son, um, a male in your life could be falsely accused of some type of an assault at any time in their lives, and the woman is to be believed regardless, I think that wakes some people up, too, as far as how, how things have gone. Well, let me switch gears a little bit. We hear a lot about how do we reach the younger generations, and I, and I often think more that that couple in their 30s. Um, they've got some kids. Maybe they're starting to be school age. What your view of how, how do we activate more you know, that crowd and in some ways, it's the suburban woman. But how do we activate that crowd for conservative principles? You know, politics is downstream from culture. Our churches have to retool to deal with the millennial generation. I'm Roman Catholic Evangelical Presbyterian. That means I go to Mass on Saturday and I go to the Presbyterian Church on Sunday because my wife is a Presbyterian. And I've gotten – I've served as an elder twice. I, I know one river, two banks. And – the Roman Catholic Bishop Olmsted here in Phoenix is a good leader, but they yes. need to get young and get smart and get responsive to this crisis in leadership and a, a cracking of the moral authority of the church and renew young Catholics into the rigors of their faith and understand what it means to actually believe that it is a created world with a purpose and a design. I think as well the evangelical church is aging out its leadership cohort. And the younger leadership cohort doesn't understand that politics may be downstream of culture, but it comes back up and pollutes the upstream if you don't take care of it and really need to get smart. And I, I, all I believe is since we're right and the Constitution works and freedom is uh, – the secret to happiness is freedom. The secret to freedom is courage. And the freedom to believe is the most important freedom. They got to get smarter. And luckily Wayne Grudem and some people like that are working every day to do that. You're working every day with that network of churches, I assume. Yes, but it, the, Trump has had an effect. There's no question that um, President Trump has divided the evangelical church world. And I often say we have Russell Moore pastors and Franklin Graham pastors. Interesting. And we had, um, when Franklin Graham was doing his rally throughout the capitals, what, in 2016, we had Russell Moore for a luncheon on a Thursday, and Franklin Graham was here on a Friday. And let me just say the pastors who came to Russell Moore for lunch would not have shown up at the Franklin Graham rally and vice versa. And so we feel like we're kind of in the middle of that um, divide. And so part of it is – a lot of it is the tone. It's how you articulate the issue. And I do think, though, that we've got to have the freedom to believe, as you said, to tie us together because if we lose that freedom – We've lost everything. And in Arizona, we've got one of the wedding vendor cases before our Arizona Supreme Court right now. What happens with that case is going to say a lot for what happens in Arizona. And I think that if both sides of that divide, the Russell Moore pastors and the Franklin Graham pastors, good way to put it, uh, excellent way to put it, both great men, both been guests on my show. Uh, The Bladensburg Cross case was accepted for certiorari by the Supreme Court, and that involves a 45-foot Latin cross that has stood for 100 years as a memorial to 49 dead Prince George's County World War I veterans. And the American Humanist Association sued to be required to be knocked down. The American Legion is on the other side, and the Fourth Circuit ordered it to be taken down. And it has been accepted by the court. And when the court, and I believe this five-justice court will re will reformulate 
Establishment Clause jurisprudence. And what does it mean when the Congress – the First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I'm very confident on free exercise. We've won Hobby Lobby. We're going to continue to win. People will be able to exercise their right to worship. Masterpiece Cake Shop is a wonderful win. But that the Establishment Clause has gone crazy. We're not allowed to pray in public. We're not allowed to pray at school. That's not what it meant. It meant you can't have an official church and all churches alike. That's all it means. Exactly. And I think when that decision comes down, you and the Center for Arizona Policy will be able to go to both of those audiences and say, see – this is why we want Trump. He's not a pastor. Right. He appoints judges. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's the chief. He's the commander in chief. Well, um, the lack of civility. I'm just speak to that for a minute because, of course, we're hearing that everywhere we turn and the lack of civility. Um, you know, we both um, think highly of um, Senator John Kyle, who to me is the epitome of a statesman. And how essential you, gentleman. H- how you conduct yourself in civil life. We certainly don't see that these days. Um, thoughts on that? Well, when – my son came to me and he wanted to find an internship in college many years ago. And I said, go to work for John Kyle. He's the best man I know in the United States Senate. And so there are a lot of great senators, but Tom Cotton wasn't there yet. John Kyle was and and, and uh, maybe going for a combat veteran would be fine. But John Kyle's just the best man I know. And uh, and James soaked up that from him. And he brings character and commitment to the, to the practice of being a public figure. We need a lot more of that. And he's never not been civil, even when he's had arguments within his party. Uh, there are some people in the Republican caucus, I'm not going to name any names, who are widely known to be a pain in the neck. As Mitch McConnell says, uh, 75% of your time is spent on 25% of your members uh, because they're just show horses, not plow horses. I like plow horses. But yesterday on Twitter, I was yesterday is Friday, on Thursday I was accused by Joshua Michael Marshall, who's a man of the hard left, of being of having fascist tendencies. Now, I understand that's kind of stupid. And nobody knows what it means, but it's really an insult. The fascist tendency ends in, Dauch, uh, in Auschwitz. Uh, a fascist tendency ends in the gulag. Uh, totalitarian tendency. I'm a freedom guy. And I think we have to – and I wrote back because civility. And a bunch of people came and said, Hugh Hewitt, as a fascist, what are you out of your mind? We're so in- inured to lies. Yes. The great deceiver is just running wild. And I think people of faith especially – have to patiently call out lies and be bold and be unafraid. Be not afraid is, I think, used 70 times in Scripture. Fear and, not. And lead by example. Yep. I mean, that I don't, I don't push back. When I get called evil or that we're the scourge on the state or that type of thing, there's no, you know, there's no debating. There's no persuading. I think on Twitter, I finally learned to see how many followers that person has. And then mute them. <laughs> right, because they don't, very seldom do they have more don't than 20 Don't block them because then they followers. know that, you, that, that you they'll get them, a new, they'll get, you mute them. And I, I must have 10,000 mutes. I must. And I'm not going to abandon Twitter, but I sure would like Jeff Bezos and Amazon to switch Amazon Prime to a Twitter platform so people could lose their anonymity and have to pay for it because then they would be real and I would argue with them. Oh, that'd be interesting, yes. So last question. Um, you've always, um, I think, I remember rec- you would recommend The Looming Tower. What are the top, say, three books that you recommend that everybody should read at, at this point in time? I am still a proponent of The Looming Tower for the simple reason that Islamic jihadism is not dead. There is a new uh, realignment in the Middle East where um, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain have joined with the new government in Iraq and some free Syrian forces, the United States and Israel, to combat the expansionism of Iranian influence. And the Islamic Jihad threatens that because they threaten the Sunni. The second book would be Vanguard of the Imam. 
Uh, Vanguard of the Imam is about the Revolutionary Guard, how corrupt they are, how lethal they are, Soleimani. Uh, and uh, people just remember the Vanguard of the Imam. Then if I could recommend one book for the soul, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and the Great War uh, by uh, Joseph LeConte. It's about J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis going off to World War I and how they came back changed, and many people became disillusioned with the world, and they tried to reimagine it and fill it with grace. And so it's either the wardrobe, a wardrobe, a hobbit, and the Great War, or it's a hobbit, a wardrobe, and a Great War. But LeConte is L-A-C-O-N-T-E. That's the book. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks, Hugh, for spending time with us. For our listeners, they can follow you on Twitter at Hugh Hewitt. Correct. Um, listen on KKNT in the Phoenix area from what I think it's 5 to 8 a.m. now. But yes. Or you can listen to it certainly online. Um, online 24 um, 7. And if they join the universe, they can get every show that's ever been on forever. Um, it's, it's well worth your time. So thanks so much for being with Happy us. Happy Herod. Today. Thank you for having me Thank back. You. Thank you.